everyone, and welcome to another DMV Comic Book Nerds podcast. Today, we are reviewing Riverdale Season 7, Episode 9, Chapter 126, Betty and Veronica Double Digest. I'm Freddie. And I'm Kennedy. And we are just two Riverdale fans who have come together to discuss this final season with all of you. So, how are you doing today, Kennedy? I'm doing well. How are you? Doing pretty well, thanks. Um, I'm very excited to discuss this episode with you. Um, but first, we've got to talk about the news. So, we've got a few news items here. The first one is some good news for us because um, the Riverdale After Dark podcast has reported that um, Riverdale will be taking a break on the week of June 14th. Oh, that works out really well. That works out perfectly. Uh, you've mentioned to me before that you're unavailable to record that week. So, that means we can just take a break. I have no worries about it because uh, they're going to be re they're going to be um, what do you call it? Um, they're going to be repeating the season premiere episode. Don't worry, darling. Oh, they'll be rerunning it. Yeah. Uh, how, how bad is it that I forgot the word rerun? <laughs> Sometimes I forget really dumb words and I just like sit there like an idiot, like stuttering, trying to find the word I was going to say. And it's so frustrating yeah. because I know I was thinking of the perfect word, but whatever. <laughs> I think it has something to do with the fact that like, TV isn't what it used to be. <laughs> yeah, the idea of a rerun is weird, isn't it? Yeah, like if, in, the, in the age of streaming, you can rerun it whenever you want. <laughs> <laughs> but here we are. I mean, this really is the end of an era because uh, this week also was the end, uh, the official end of the CW's Arrowverse. Now, oh, I don't wow. know. I don't know. Were you ever following any of those Arrowverse shows? Um, I was not. Were you? Sort of. I mean, I have to be honest, I never really stuck with any of them, but I did stick with Arrow for the first four seasons, and I think I watched about two seasons of The Flash, and I tried to get back into this last season to see what was going on, and I mean, it's interesting, but I don't know if it's at the top of my list of things to, like, dive into, because as the season... CW shows go there's so many episodes per season you know it can be a lot to keep up with yeah the classic CW issue which is just like there's hours and hours of content yes and there were six different shows that comprised the Arrowverse you had Arrow you had um, Flash you had Supergirl Legends of Tomorrow Black Lightning and Batwoman all right yeah, I know. I never saw any of those. Um, and you're you're very like positive about these shows. I really feel like CW is very hit or miss. Um, they've produced a lot of stuff that I think is is really good and, and fun. And they've produced a lot of stuff I think is like aggressively mediocre. Like I told you that I watched uh, the first season of Katie Keene, which is, of course, in the Riverdale verse. And I thought it was just like really, really aggressively mid. So yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i'm a little more uh i think a little more fondly of that one than i think you did i mean yeah, yeah. <laughs> like and, and to be honest when that show came out i was one of the biggest haters because i was like why is this not called the josie show it should be the josie show she's the one who's put in the work she's been there since season one 
And then Katie Keene comes out of nowhere. Is like, this is my show. And Josie can be on it. And I'm just like, ah. but I, I sat through it. I watched it. And I, I ended up enjoying it for what it was. Like um, all the cast was, I thought they were pretty good. But um, this is, I don't want to get too off track. Um, but I do want to mention, like there are other CW shows. Like I know Nancy Drew is uh, in its last season now. And I think Tom Swift is a spinoff of that. And I mentioned before that I've been watching Tom Swift, even though it's already been canceled. But, you know, it's entertaining. Um, and what other shows are worth mentioning? I think it's worth mentioning Smallville. We talked about that a little bit last week. Um, Smallville kind of started it all. Like it, it came before the Arrowverse, but it was like the first big superhero show that had that CW Warner Brothers quality. And it lasted as long as it did. Like It was one of the most expensive shows to be made when it was first uh when it first premiered yeah yeah i think um crazy ex-girlfriend which is on the cw a huge departure from the norm for them yes. i feel like i love that show don't get me started on crazy ex-girlfriend i love crazy ex-girlfriend too <laughs> that is so cool i didn't know we had that in common but um if, if you remember crazy ex-girlfriend was it got great critic reviews but it, it really had very low viewership and it was struggling to get renewed for each season that it got yeah, and it's a very expensive show to make just because of, like, I mean, the demands of producing the original music, doing the, like, musical number, like, everything from the choreography to getting all those dancers to getting, like, the, the sets and costumes. It, we're very, very, very lucky that the CW kept funding it, I feel like. Yeah, like, that show, we're lucky that it came out when it did because um, back then, CW was not caring about how much debt they were accruing, I guess. Like- <laughs> I feel like it would be interesting to like again and I've said this before I would love to know what goes on like if yeah, my instinct is that maybe the CW gives more artistic creativity to shows but I just don't know I don't, I don't know I just feel like they produce stuff that's really tangibly different than what a lot of other services and channels are producing but yeah you know. like it, it, it is like a certain vibe and it is kind of disappointing that this is the end of an era like it did have a lot of fans all these cw shows um and it and it is a question of where are we going to go next like what are we going to do after riverdale is done with like i really think that there aren't as many network shows that have they're capable of creating as much hype as some of these shows have um and then there's streaming and and with so many things going on right now with AI, with writer strikes and director strikes and everything, like who even knows what's going to happen with the entertainment industry going forward? But here we are, <laughs> and we're just going to navigate through it. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts about that before we move on? No, you can you can do the next piece of news. All right. So, in the Archie Comics universe, we got some big news because. Archie Comics is debuting a new trans character. Oh, wow. Yeah, her name is Danny Malloy. And this is a character who has been around, I think, since the 80s. Um, there was a comic book called Dilton Strange Science. So this is coming back. It's part of the Archie Horror line this time. Um, so they're doing a Strange Science one-shot issue. And that's coming out in August. And it features Dilton. It features... Um, another character that they are promoting recently named Jinx. And then it's the main feature, I think, is Danny Malloy. And and this will tell more of her story. Awesome. Good for them. Yeah. Like, like Archie Comics really has been ahead of the curve as far as including 
uh, you know, uh, diversity and um, although I have to say this is another redhead character. <laughs> oh, they love their redheads. Yeah, there's no lack of redheads. In the you know, movie. all those people complaining about like the little mermaid or whatever just need to go read the Archie comics. Right. Like you will be fine. <laughs> like I was so mad when I saw people complaining about Josie on Riverdale not being a red hair. I'm like, you don't have so enough. many other redheads on this show. Stop complaining. <laughs> yeah, you already have two, which statistically speaking, I mean. At least two, if not counting all of Cheryl's family. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and Archie's mom. <laughs> I guess no one really wants to relate to uh, to any of Cheryl's parents or uh, aunts and uncles or whoever. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm excited to uh, see, um, to learn more about these new characters in the Archie world. Um, but next I'd like to talk a little bit about Charles Melton because now that he's back, you know, he's been the buzz of the town. Everybody's talking about Charles Melton and he was just in Cannes for the, uh, what do they call it? The film festival, I think. Mm-hmm. And he is in a movie with Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore called May, December. So Good for him. Yeah. Like he is working his way up in the world. And hopefully, you know, it'll go well for him. All right. And one more bit of news. Shannon Purser, who plays Ethel, um, went on social media and let us know that she wrapped her filming on Riverdale yesterday. Nice. She's officially done. And she she wrote up a very nice thing about just what it's been like being a part of Riverdale since the beginning, pretty much. And um, like she was looking back, like, I can't believe it's seven years. (laughs) since we started yeah that is kind of crazy actually yeah and so i can only assume that the final wrap of riverdale is coming up soon so again it's the end of an era yeah certainly and you could probably make guesses as well about where the story is going to be going considering or you couldn't i mean it's totally plausible that the last scene or the last like episode or whatever doesn't include ethel for a totally innocent reason but also like my mind is going to like i don't know all the implications that this could have for the for the storyline the resolution of ethel's current current predicament well if i had to guess i assume that ethel will still be part of the last episode but presumably she didn't have to film as much as the other characters mm-hmm. um, or maybe they wrap up her storyline like the episode before or something who knows yeah, one has to assume they film in, in, in order of like the, the scenes with the most characters down to the scenes with the least characters so they can get everything kind of done in the, I don't know, a way that saves money. Yeah, um, although I can only imagine like you want to have as many people as possible there for the last day so you can all celebrate together. Um, yeah. Or have an after party or something. Oh, I'm, I'm sure there's going to be a great Riverdale cast party, and I, I really hope we get to see, like, Instagram pictures of, of it. Yeah, I bet KJ Apple will be doing the most. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, are you ready to get into the episode? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so, this episode, Betty and Veronica Double Digest, is, well, the title, I have to say, comes from the comic books. Like, uh, in 1987, that is when the Betty and Veronica Double Digest first started being published. Um, So this is not something that's been published the entirety of Archie history, but it was definitely around when I was growing up. Um, Lots of the different characters had Double Digests, and they're basically like smaller size comic books, but thicker. Like There's a lot of pages, and um, 
a lot of short stories. Um, and I have to say that the title kind of threw me off because usually in these stories, like on the cover, you have Betty and Veronica doing something together. Like you, either they're being friendly or they're being silly or something's going on. And inside the book, they might have some separate stories, but a lot of them, they're still together. So I was kind of expecting to see a Betty and Veronica plot this episode. And what we got was very separate, but um, we'll get into that later. Um, real quick, I want to mention the writer and director. This episode was written by Will Ewing and directed by Alex Pillai. And this is the fourth episode for both of them, with credits going back to season three of Riverdale. Um, this is their first episode together, though, as far as I'm aware. All right, so here's a quick summary. After devising a plan to bring in some money at the Babylonium, Veronica is surprised to learn somebody may be sabotaging her. After beginning sessions with Dr. Werther's, Betty begins to question his motives. Ooh. Mm -hmm. All right, so um, any first impressions you want to share? Well, I did like the little the the little like framing device, and they've play, been pro playing around a lot with these these different sort of episode formats this season, which is mm -hmm. very interesting, especially considering I think a lot of the plot lines are much more calm than we're used to with Riverdale. Um, so I loved the little like uh, the text for Betty and Veronica, the little whip crack noise. Yeah, like they they definitely um, took the exact logo from the comic books, and like I don't know why they chose a whip crack, but it was effective. <laughs> I thought it looked really good. And I also, again, like there were some cinematic choices made during this episode that really brought it together for me. Um, I can get really easily frustrated with Riverdale for doing really boring stuff with the with the cinematography or doing really like stereotypical CW lighting um, or just doing like a back and forth like characters face other characters face during conversations. But they did some interesting stuff. Um, this episode, so I I really enjoyed it on on that level. Cool. Um, yeah, I think I will say that overall I enjoyed the episode. Like I said, I was a little disappointed that Betty and Veronica literally had no scenes together except for Betty's fantasies where they're making out. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no. Let's also we'll we'll get to that. We'll get to bye Betty. Yeah, like we'll we'll have a lot to say about that. I'm sure, but um, <laughs> you know. Once I accepted the fact that they were just going to have separate plot lines, it was it was good for what it was. Um, I'm interested to discuss the themes of the episode with you and like what what you think they were going for because I feel like um, I feel like some of it was more effective than other parts of it. But um, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. Um, but let's get into it. So, um, which part? Which part did you like better, Betty or Veronica's story? Oh, I'm I I'm not necessarily saying I like it better, but I'm really itching to talk about Betty's story. All right, let's get into it. So um, I do want to mention, though, that the episode is kind of it opens with Jughead at Pops grieving Brad Rayberry. And there's this interesting scene where they kind of slow down the music that's playing. And and he's talking about how time is kind of like dragging. And then we get into Betty's scene whip crack. <laughs> <laughs> and um she's meeting with dr worthers who accuses her of nymphomania and other such sexual deviancy and he asks her her first sexual memory she remembers playing a game uh, playing operation with little archie but she doesn't share that memory with dr worthers any other thoughts about this scene 
Well, I loved the two little actors that they got for uh, young Betty and young Archie. They looked adorable. Um, and also, <laughs> I, I was a little worried it was going to be like, I was kind of like, oh, for sexual memory. And there's like, like, it goes to this flashback with like these little kids. I was like, oh, mm -hmm. oh, no. But mm -hmm. obviously they didn't. It was just supposed to be like she has a crush on him or whatever. Mm -hmm. Woo. <laughs> but for a moment there, I was like, huh? <laughs> yeah, like that was definitely the first moment of the episode where I'm like, what's about to happen? <laughs> <laughs> yeah somehow not the last time this episode that, that we'll be worried uh about uh that <laughs> yeah and like honestly i still feel kind of weird about it because obviously it's gross when dr worthers is asking you your first sexual memory like nobody wants to talk to him about that but second of all like i i understand entirely why betty didn't tell him but the fact that we got to see it almost makes me feel a little bit more like like voyeuristic in the way that like um dr worthers brought that up like like he you know what i'm saying like like i mean obviously it wasn't a crazy scene it was innocent it was um normal like <laughs> i mean i definitely would say that as a kid i have memories that i can probably relate to that were similar but um i don't know it was just like do we need to actually see Betty's first memory, though? <laughs> it is interesting because Betty is always the character that they do these flashbacks with, right? You know, like, I don't think we ever see child Veronica or child Jughead. And the only time that we, I feel like my guess would be the only time that we interact with child Archie is through, like, Betty, child Betty-related storylines. Because, like, in the contemporary Riverdale plotline, the whole thing is, like, does she have the serial killer gene? Now they're shifting the pathology for the 1950s onto is she a nymphomaniac? Uh, so it's kind of interesting that they've given her variations on a theme vis-a-vis -vis, like, was I a fucked up child? And that's what's made me like a crazy adult, you know? <laughs> well, I should say that uh, there are uh, comic book titles called Lil Archie, you know, Lil Archie and his pals. Like for a long time, they published comic books about young Archie and his friends. And so every time they do this, they're specifically referencing that. But um, in the case of Riverdale, Veronica never grew up with them. So, of course, she's not going to be there. Um, and I guess they don't have any reason to show her y youth. Um, but, yeah, we don't really see anyone else either other than Archie and Betty. And it's fine. I mean, you know, <laughs> we'll have a lot to say about their various ages and presentation of their ages. <laughs> Later, yeah. <laughs> but, um I think that's all I have to say about this. Um, is there any thoughts you had about Dr. Werther's in this uh, setup here? Uh, I'll save my thoughts for later, but definitely giving the major ick. Definitely. <laughs> Agreed. So then he asks Betty, how often would you say that you think about sex? <laughs> and then they start playing Betty's classic lollipop song that they had as her ringtone in season two. <laughs> Which, by the way, what a psycho ringtone to have. Especially when, when it was uh, the serial killer calling you. <laughs> <laughs> they thought they did something with that. They were like, oh, it's going to be so ironic if we make the serial killer's ringtone lollipop. <laughs> but I was just sitting there like, Betty made her phone ringtone. She went through the work of like purchasing the lollipop ringtone or whatever. <laughs> you can't question it. You have to go. With it. <laughs> but um, I definitely think that's going to be the opening to the podcast. <laughs> Oh, yes, yes, yes. 
All right. So, and during this scene, uh, we see Betty basically making out with everybody in Riverdale. All the boys, some of the girls. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then there's this hilarious scene where uh, she sees Dilton's volcano science experiment exploding. Like, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about this. My jaw literally dropped. Yeah, like I died. <laughs> <laughs> it's so gratuitous in such a funny way. Mm-hmm. And um, I was kind of surprised that they gave away this scene in the promo. Like lately, they've been showing scenes from later in the episode. So, like, it was good to get that out of the way, see what else the episode had to offer. Yeah. Well, I was very surprised by the fact that Betty kisses Veronica in one of her daydreams. Um, yeah, I was all back to that season one. Episode I know. Four. I was like, oh, well, maybe we should, maybe they should pursue that. I don't know. Just speaking for myself here, but <laughs> I, I always thought that would be a really good pairing. And I remember, like, when I started watching Riverdale, like, I think I was like texting my friend the whole time I was watching the pilot, and I remember being like, "Oh my gosh, Betty and Veronica should totally like hook up," and then they kissed, and I was like, "Yes!" And then nothing happened for the next seven seasons because <laughs> it was a faux lesbian kiss. I mean, honestly. I was disappointed that we didn't even get to see their friendship this episode. Like, they were not even talking to each other. <laughs> Good point. And this is something Riverdale does a lot, is they separate the main four. Yeah. Especially Veronica, I think. Yeah, Veronica's very often sequestered. But it was good to see them uh, follow up on all these hints of sexuality. I, I, I do think that Lily Reinhardt has been outspoken about uh, bisexuality and, like... Um, about embracing Betty's bisexuality. And so this kind of confirms it. Like, it's not just Veronica deciding to kiss her randomly or or someone else like Agent Drake pursuing her. This is from Betty's fantasies. I think it's kind of like a confirmation that, you know, Betty is on the Kinsey scale. <laughs> <laughs> Queen. Um, I think they even mentioned the Kinsey scale um, because Dr. Werther's is demanding that Betty give him a number <laughs> for how much she thinks about sex. <laughs> I'm like, what kind of number? Like like 12? Like, like a random <laughs> um, But Betty says, according to Dr. Kingsley, teenagers think about sex every seven seconds. And then Dr. Werther says, that number is for teenage boys. It's, there's a very different barometer for teenage girls. And she says, she says, well, in that case, I would say that I think sex all the time. <laughs> like I love how uh, how she needles him you know and gets under his skin yeah but it, it sucked hearing all of his old school uh, double standards and backwards ways of thinking like that was really annoying like I feel like he's a really bad psychologist <laughs> oh uh, yeah yeah I would not dispute that at all alright so then they start talking about marriage, and Betty says that she's not sure if she wants to get married. Um, she also mentions that her dad, Hal, has girly magazines that he hides in his sock drawer. So why isn't he in therapy? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, this is actually a pretty long scene. Like, were you surprised at how long the scene went on? I was a little disappointed that so much of this episode was... Hey, you've heard me complain about this before. Sitting and talking um i 
I don't know. I would even like it if they were walking around, which obviously I guess it makes sense for like a therapy session or whatever this is supposed to be that they're sitting and talking. But I mean, you know, and also just got to point out the girly mags. Uh, they were pretty. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? They're pretty tame. Yeah. I mean, I think for the time, you know, in the 50s, uh, things weren't as hardcore as they are now. <laughs> I'm, I am curious as to whether or not that kind of magazine in the 50s would have shown nudity. I'm very curious about that. I don't know. I don't know the answer. I bet there's someone who studies, like, the history of pornography, and I would love to talk to that person. I mean, I am aware that, you know, there were, uh, you know, various levels of uh, uh, nudity in, you know, porno mags and such. Um, I think that the boom kind of happened in, like, the... 70s 80s of like you know uh, the culture of underground you know uh porno going on by i don't know like <laughs> this is so awkward to talk about on a <laughs> but i just think that um uh, you know i there like it could be a pretty tame thing and still have the same effect for people back then because that's all they had oh yeah no definitely um i also want to go back to what betty said about marriage like as someone who is 34 years old and unmarried, um, I get what she's saying about, you know, wanting to not have to necessarily make a decision. And she doesn't rule out marriage in the family, but she says that she, mostly she wants to make an impact on the world. And, um, you know, th- I guess that comes first for her. And like, I get that. And as a man, you know, my experience is going to be a little different from hers, but I do think that um, it's one thing to say this as a kid. It's another thing to experience it as an adult because uh, a lot of people do feel a sense of lost time the older they get, you know, like whether you have a biological clock or whether you just feel yourself getting older, like you, you uh, start to wonder like, should I have kids? Or like, is it too late to have kids? Like, you know, um, you know, like, what am I missing out on by not having, like, I feel like, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that's a very forward thinking perspective for the fifties, but as someone who's living in 2023, I feel like it's not so much a choice. I feel like a lot of millennials and Gen Z people aren't having families, not because we don't want to, but because society hasn't made it easy for us to do so. Like the economy is so bad. Like, uh, you know, yeah. like we're afraid to like even send kids to school. Like it's crazy out here. So I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like the, I, this is kind of funny because I actually, I have a friend, uh, I'm going back home to visit my parents soon. Um, and one of the things I'm going to be doing while I'm home is going to one of my, one of my middle and high school friends wedding. Um, and then actually one of my other high school friends will be getting engaged the mm-hmm. same day. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is like one of those things that's happening now. Of course, you know, I've hit 22 people are all going into their marriages or one could cynically say their first marriages. Yeah. Um, but like, it's crazy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. It's also like you hear like a 16 year old Betty say that and you're like, whatever you that that's a really cool thing to say in the 50s, certainly. But also at the same time. If you're in 2023 and it means something different to get married, I would say, yeah, like you can't really know until you 
get there. It's an interesting thing for, for Riverdale to touch on, certainly. Yeah, I mean, because I think that the way they've written Betty in this episode is she is kind of wise beyond her years and even beyond her time period. Like, I, they've written her almost as a voice for the show rather than as a character, I think, because, like, there, there's a moment later on where she's speaking directly to the camera, like, looking right in the camera um, and just speaking her truth. And it's like, it's not necessarily something realistic for a 50s teenager to say but for people watching it today i think it has a lot of meaning um and we'll talk about that more but i do want to also say like you said in your 20s that is definitely the period where you might start to see all your friends get married you know (laughs) well one thing that's helped is a lot of the people i'm seeing get married are like not not the two people i just talked about um but like a lot of acquaintances it's like oh my gosh you're like the least responsible person i know why well, are I you mean, getting married well i hate to say it, but i think there there is um some kind of uh there is a saying about that as well that you know um the people who <laughs> i don't know if i should say this on the podcast but i'll say it anyway <laughs> um they say that the people who shouldn't have kids are the first ones to have them <laughs> and the ones who are best with kids likely don't have kids <laughs> But who knows? Uh, the world is a mysterious place. So, like, and to that point, Alice. <laughs> Alice. Alice being the slay mom that she always is. Alice is the last person who should have kids because she's so damn crazy. <laughs> and yet, here she is. Uh, and she's trying to pressure Betty to daydream about her wedding. Yeah, it's giving... It's giving manipulative mom, and it's also giving when are you going to give me grandkids? Which, but, but it's also giving. I know you've been talking to Doctor Worthers behind my back because, like, <laughs> Betty said, why now? Like, why are you pressuring? Why are you talking about this right now? Yeah, no, I was like, oh yeah, no. So Doctor Worthers is definitely like going and telling her literally everything, huh? And at this point, I wonder, like, were there even patient doctor confidentiality uh, rules back then, or or is, was that did that come later, like? At this point, Dr. Werther's has no concern about sharing with Alice what goes on in the sessions, but is that just his style or is or or was that accepted back then? That's a good question. I think I remember there being a plot line in Mad Men where Betty Draper goes to a therapist and the therapist tells uh, Dawn everything. Um, but I don't remember like if that how that got resolved or like if it was illegal or not. Um, I mean, there's certainly some precedent and like, I didn't think about this while I was watching it, but now thinking back on it, like there's been a lot of legal arguments about whether or not school counselors should be obliged to tell parents certain information that the, that the kids come to the school counselors with like stuff about, you know, gender confusion or whether or not, like if the kid is thinking about their sexuality, uh, and you know, from personal experience, I'm super opposed to that. I think it's a horrible, horrible stance to force uh, school counselors to go rat out kids agreed parents. yeah but I was like I, I didn't think about that but I wonder if it's kind of like uh, a oblique social commentary yeah I mean like we said before unfortunately so much of this 50 stuff is super relevant in today's world and um, yeah it was very disturbing to see how much they violated Betty's privacy this episode so that um, led us to the title card of the episode <laughs> like uh yeah we've got some big chunks of betty and dr werther's here um and to follow that plot um 
Next, Dr. Werther's asks Betty about her most vivid and frequent sexual dream. Betty says that she is a biology teacher and she's having uh, intimate t- moments with her students, which is already kind of problematic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why is Riverdale going back to this? Yeah, they didn't learn. <laughs> and it's so weird because like, okay, so this is teenage Betty fantasizing that she's an adult teacher and she's seducing her students in front of everybody in the classroom. <laughs> so, uh, and the person really... she's usually seducing is Archie. Yeah. Maybe uh, it's Archie. Maybe Archie's, I don't know. <laughs> maybe he communicated somehow his teacher thing. Well, honestly, I feel like this works better as removed from Archie. You know, like if we can compartmentalize this and say this has nothing to do with Archie and his experience in the previous timeline. Well, then it's not as icky, but it's like still weird. Like, I mean, there is something to be said for the fact that a sexual fantasy is just that. Like, it's a fantasy and it has no basis in reality necessarily. Uh, Maybe she's just fantasizing a bit of role play. I don't know. But, um, but, but I'm thinking more about the show and what is the show trying to say? Like, because uh, we know that the show sells sex. Like, the promo was full of these sexual scenes. Like, every episode has, you know, something uh, titillating, so to speak. Um, so it's like, we know that the show is not above that. But the show, this episode, makes several points about how, like, it's totally inappropriate for older people, especially like, you know, Dr. Werther's to be, you know, discussing this stuff with Betty. Like, I don't know, like, (sighs) (laughs) it's truly a Gordian knot. Yeah. But we're about to get to the, to the part I'm really excited about. All right. You want to, you want to talk about it? Oh, well, well, we have to, we have to keep going through the, the plot points first. Yeah. I mean, like basically Betty, uh, after she tells Dr. Werther's about her dreams, she asks him about his notes. Like, she's like, what are you writing? And why do you keep writing stuff down? And he always deflects and says, uh, you know, I'm just taking some notes, whatever. Um, and, but then Betty starts to say that, that she's starting to see things more clearly now. And Dr. Werther's asks, where do you think this urge comes from to be seen in such a sexualized way? And she says, I don't think it's just about being seen sexually. I think it might be more about just being seen, period being seen as a person with autonomy and desire and self-determination. And she's wondering if her interest in understanding sex is really more about understanding herself because she says, what better way to understand a person than to understand their desires, including their own. And that, and at that moment, that's when she's looking straight into the camera and she's looking at Dr. Werther's, but she's also looking at us, the audience and uh, just kind of like uh, nailing the hammer on the theme. Yep. Yeah, very um, interesting sort of uh, directing choice here. Very cool. Is this the part you want to talk about? <laughs> no, I shouldn't have said that. I brought it up a little too early. Oh, sorry. I'm, I'm <laughs> excited. Okay, I'll try to keep going. Okay, so next. Um, <laughs> it must be this scene with Alice because Betty goes home. She finds that Alice has invited Reverend Lowe over and he, she wants him to hear Betty's confession, <laughs> and also perform an exorcism if need be. 
and Betty notices that all of her diaries are there open and she's like you read my diaries and Betty is outraged and tells Alice off she storms out of the house and then she decides to steal Dr. Werther's notebook so that's what she does later that evening is this the scene you want to talk about? <laughs> well, it's not It's not the one I'm the most excited about. We're about to get to that. But I will say, uh, if Reverend Lowe is a Presbyterian reverend, then he would not hear confessions. And he would probably not perform an exorcism. I don't know. But uh, confessions are a Catholic thing. And sure. I did do them as a child. And yes, it was kind of fucked up. So. <laughs> so did she mention that he was Presbyterian? Yes, she did. Oh, I didn't notice that. Good catch. <laughs> I'm I'm very attuned to when uh, TV shows say something incorrect about Christian denominations. But also, though, um, that kind of makes me wonder if she, uh, if he was really serious about possibly performing an exorcism, or if she was just pushing it to that point, even if that's not what he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the reverend's over there going like, uh, "An exorcism? Excuse <laughs> yeah. me." I feel like that would be more realistic. <laughs> um, but yeah. Okay, so next. Um, Betty is inside his office. She's got her trademark flashlight and her, uh, you know, bobby pins breaking into stuff. Yes, classic <laughs> Betty's shenanigans. Mm-hmm. She even calls out her uh, role model, uh, Tracy True, which is basically Nancy Drew. <laughs> <laughs> And in the in Dr. Werther's drawer, she finds comic books, a switchblade, a slingshot, which are all pretty probably things that he confiscated from some kids. But then she finds in the back a copy of Lolita. And this is an infamous book. I've never read it. Have you? Yes. This is what I'm excited to talk about. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I should have known because like you are pretty well read. So um, I'll be interested to hear your take about this in a second. But first, I just want to say that. So... She takes this book to Pops. Uh, she finds Jughead and asks him about it. Uh, she says that she got it from a friend. Um, Jughead tells her the scandalous details of the plot. And then when Betty asks if it's, a for, if, it, if it's a book for perverts, he says, passing moral judgment on a work of art is a slippery slope. And then he asks her if she's read it yet. And she says she's about to. And then she goes home and reads it under her covers at night. Yes. So... My, I was so excited, but also scared when I saw that she was holding a copy of Lolita. Um, Vladimir Nabokov, who wrote Lolita, is one of my favorite authors. I love Lolita. I think it's a fantastic book, which is kind of like a weird opinion. Like, I'll, I, I try not to tell a lot of people that opinion because it definitely will get you some side eyes because, like, the only thing people know about Lolita is that it's about a pedophile. Um, and so a lot of people then have the misconception that because it's about a pedophile, it's pro-pedophilia, which it's absolutely not. Um, it's it's a really fantastic book. Nabokov is like a master of the English language. He's a fantastic writer. He does a lot of really interesting stuff at the level of the word and the sentence. But also like Lolita is just a very like extremely emotionally touching story about like basically like a, a middle-aged dude who seduce like not seduces, I mean he like kidnaps and 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 you know rapes this this 12-year-old and the thing about it is, is it deals with a lot of the complicated details of that kind of stuff. Like the fact that the main character, he's the narrator of the book and he's extremely charismatic. People really like this guy. So that's like part of why he's able to get away with it for so long is because people think he's super smart and well-spoken and, you know, no one trusts a kid. And 
yeah so like I just I think it's a really it, it, it this is super dark to be talking about on a Riverdale podcast but it is truly a fantastic book I highly recommend people read it um and I was also super scared when they introduced it because a lot of people have the wrong idea about Lolita and they mischaracterize it uh as being pro pedophilia when it's absolutely not and so I was kind of like oh if they're gonna use this as like example of how Dr. Werther's is creepy that's that's very disappointing because it is a fantastic book and it absolutely I don't think that you can read it Novakov himself said it doesn't have a moral but I don't think that you can read it and be on the side of the narrator at least like you're not on the side of him morally you might be won over by his charisma at least to an extent but that's like the magic of the book right is you're supposed to be convinced by how cunning he is and how willing he is to do whatever it takes to get what he wants well uh thank you for your insight on that. Like I, I guess I've never read it. So I hesitate to offer any opinions about it, but um, you know, Betty intentionally wants to read this and be informed. And so she cancels her appointment for the next day with Dr. Werther's, but looks forward to talking with him the day after because um, she is going to tell him off. <laughs> <laughs> she's going to read Lolita and figure out what kind of guy he is. And she's going to read Lolita and then she's going to read Dr. Werther's. <laughs> yes. Also fun little Easter egg slash mistake. Uh, the cover of the book said volume one. So I was kind of like, is that not the full, like, were they doing like multi-volume sets of, of Lolita? <laughs> or was this like a collected volume of Nabokov's works? Or I don't know. No idea. Weird prop they chose, but you know, go for it. One of many. Um <laughs> But um, so I'm interested to hear your opinion about what happens next. Like basically Betty confronts Dr. Werther's about the book. She calls him out on all his creepiness. She says she's no longer comfortable being in a room alone with him because she thinks he's just as perverted as the character in the story. Um, although he tries to claim that the only reason he was reading it was to try to get more insight into dealing with Betty. Yeah, so obviously what he says is super messed up, um, that he says it's a book about, like, a a, a girl, like, a, a little girl who's basically, like, evil or, like, messed up, who's trying to seduce this guy. Obviously very messed up and wrong, and also an incorrect perception people have about the book. Or I guess I shouldn't say incorrect, but I would, I would argue incorrect. Um, but uh, <laughs> respectfully, Betty, I would not say he's as bad as the narrator of Lolita. He's not as bad as Humbert Humbert. Uh, <laughs> interesting that you would say that, though, because, like, I mean, I myself have, have been wondering this season, like, how bad is Dr. Werther's? Like, is he evil or is he just awful? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, like that remains to be seen. Um, he is definitely, we've mentioned before, he's um, based off of the real life figure, Dr. Frederick Wortham. So in real life, this person kind of has an interesting biography that could be looked at from different angles. Like notably, he's infamous for uh, writing a book called The Seduction of the Innocent and railing against, um, you know, uh, mature themes in comic books that to the point where there had to be a whole comic book code for several decades about what kind of content was acceptable in comic books. So so like he's kind of infamous for that but on the flip side he did some progressive things uh, as far as like advancing um the field in like uh providing medical services to african-american communities and like i don't know like i just feel like i'm very confused about the real life figure and this fictional character that they have brought onto the show 
I mean, that's the difficult thing, right? Is your 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 real life historical figures are always going to be extremely complex. They're always going to be human. And, and if they've ever, you know, had any power, they're always going to have made decisions that turned out to be wrong, basically, later on. Um, it doesn't seem like we're supposed to like Dr. Werther's. I don't know. I mean, I'll be interested to see whether or not Betty's accusation is justified and he turns out to be a real nasty piece of work. But uh, comparing him to 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 the the fictional narrator of Lolita who kidnaps a 12 year old. Um, and yeah, like uh, I don't think he's I, nothing that we've seen on the show so far is, is is anywhere near as bad as that. He's not like a nice guy in the show. Don't get me wrong. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll take your word for it. Um, I, I do think that it was very disturbing how much detail he was trying to get about Betty's sexual fantasies. Yes, that was but, very creepy. But luckily he didn't go any further than that. <laughs> um, so next, um, Betty confronts Alice. And Alice is also confronting Betty. <laughs> and they have a very tense scene. Um, Betty, Alice is about to call Dr. Werther's um, and tell him, like at this point, Betty has ended her sessions with Dr. Werther's, but Alice wants to call him and tell him that, get back on it like like don't give up on her but then betty's like you better put the phone down like she points her finger and like she's like just talk to me like talk to me directly like i'm here like i'm willing to listen but then betty asks alice about her unhappiness and betty almost gets alice to talk but then hal interrupts and scolds betty and Betty is basically begging them to explain themselves and, and how they've sacrificed because all Betty feels is like the ways that they've tried to control her and uh, and punish her. And so once again, they punish her, uh, Hal sends her to her room. Um, and even the next morning when Betty asks Alice for a path forward, Alice is pretty cold. Like she says that she has relieved Dr. Werther's of his duties but also her own as well. Like she says that she is not Betty's mother anymore and Betty can make her own damn breakfast. Extremely cold. Yeah. <laughs> very, very messed up thing to say, which, you know, Alice, you know, she is how she is. So I think that pretty much ends the Betty plot this episode. But uh, I want to say real quick about Betty she did a thing this episode that she has done very often throughout this season and not just her, but a lot of characters do this on TV in Riverdale, but also on other shows, especially CW shows, they will go into a room to confront somebody. And like, that's the last thing you need to be doing sometimes. Like, I feel like everything that they do in these situations only makes the other person more defensive, only makes them aware of like your accusations against them. Like if you're going to like, you know, come at somebody like, maybe you should like do it more indirectly rather than directly. Cause like it's, it never works. Like um, when she confronted Dr. Werther's, that was one thing. But then when she confronted her mom, she basically said, I think you're unhappy. And, and like, she might be right, but anytime you're using these you words, you know, you put someone on the defensive and like, then they don't really, they think they feel like you're judging them. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Like, what incentive does Alice have to like open up to Betty when she's feels like Betty is attacking her? I think that um, it's just a super easy 
thing for the screenwriters to do and also just does not happen that often in real life or at least like it ought to be avoided in real life but you know I mean it's I feel like for anyone who's writing a tv show it's so much easier to just have your characters get things out into the open yeah um but like yeah no IRL is this how problems are solved (laughs) absolutely not um Obviously, Alice should have been the bigger person, being the mom and all. Also, considering the thing that Betty says about Alice seeming unhappy, um, I kind of wonder if we're going to get a storyline where, like, Alice gave up, like, a potential career or something to be Betty's mom. Or, like, Alice had to get married to Hal because she was pregnant with Polly. Is Polly still in this timeline? She is, right? Yes, they've mentioned her offhandedly, but we've never seen her this timeline. Yeah. um, That... I, I think we're going to discover something soon about Alice's yeah, backstory. Like they, they were so close this episode to revealing something and they, they're saving it for later. But we've been speculating for a while. Like, what is Alice and Hal's deal this season? Like, they have to tell us something soon. I feel like this episode definitely laid more crumbs for Hal being uh, a little sleazier. Is he sleazy or is he a murderer? Like, or is he... <laughs> Yeah, there is kind of a world of distinction between those two. Yeah, like, like, what is it? Like, I just need to know. And so does Betty. Like, honestly, I, I'm totally on Betty's side here. I do feel like in that one instance, if she had t- instead talked about her own unhappiness instead of Alice's unhappiness, maybe that would have changed the scene because, like, maybe th- that would have explained more to Alice why she's behaving this way. She's like, I am unhappy with my circumstances, with the way that y'all have been pressuring me to do this and that, like, Sometimes it's easier to have a discussion with people when you're not like necessarily pointing fingers, you know. Um, but maybe that's just my personal feeling on the topic. But of course, like I said, Alice is totally in the wrong. Should have been the bigger person. And Hal comes along and ruins the whole thing. So it's like they both suck. <laughs> um, and then, and then Alice says she's not even Betty's mother. Like, what does that even mean? Like, like crazy. Like honestly, I'm happy for Betty in this instant. Like, good. Like, good riddance. <laughs> But at the same time, it's like, what are you doing? Like, like, what do you expect? Like, your child, a, a young girl at this time is not encouraged to have a job. So it's not like she can, like, go buy her own food to, you know, make her own breakfast. Like, um, if she could, she would. But what do you expect her to do in this situation? Yeah, exactly. Like, she's just being petty. And um, I think that it's so sad. Like, I felt so bad for Betty because, like, what Betty wants is just like like she said to be understood, to be seen, to be res- like her, have her autonomy respected, like normal things, like basic human rights. <laughs> <laughs> and her parents are so so oppositional to everything she does. Um, I mean, this happens in real life, but on the flip side, I do kind of feel like both Betty and Veronica, which we'll talk about, I feel like they in this episode it gets beyond reality to a point where the parents are over the top crazy and doing things that no same parent would really do, you know, like, Oh yeah, no, totally, totally. Riverdale parents stay uh, just absolutely bonkers, very horrible, horrible people. (laughs) So that's, so, so that makes me wonder like, what is the show trying to say here? Like if you're trying to make a point about, you know, bad parents or, or, oppression because of tradition and, and uh, patriarchy or whatever like like 
then then make the challenges they face real. Like, don't make it over the top because then it just seems kind of silly. Like, I mean, this episode was more serious than silly, I think, especially regarding Betty's plot. But but some of it is still so over the top for me that I'm just kind of like having a hard time parsing what what they're trying to say. Yeah, it kind of doesn't hit when it's so over the top. I agree with you. All right. Well, shall we talk about Veronica? <laughs> I yes, I will warn you. I have significantly less opinions about this. <laughs> well, so, I mean, it was however lot- you want to structure it. Yeah, it was definitely a lighter uh, plot to follow. So let's get into it. Um, basically, um, Veronica is trying to drum up business for the Babylonian. She starts out by giving away free tickets to a James Dean double feature, and she wants to show Rebel Without a Cause and East of Eden. And Cheryl, being the leader of the the James Dean fan club at Riverdale, hi, she gets all involved. Uh, She gets some tickets. Um, She basically tells Veronica, you better not screw this up. (laughs) (laughs) And Veronica has Kevin and Clay helping her with all of this. So Veronica enters the boys' locker room and leaves them all invitations. Uh, They enter with uh, towels on and dripping wet. (laughs) <laughs> yeah in classic cw fashion yeah and so she has a chance to kind of really kind of flirt with them specifically reggie and later reggie does come to the movie and uh she gives him a free popcorn if he offers to take her out for a milkshake afterwards so they set up a little date but then kevin and clay let veronica know that they have a problem because all of the film re- reels have been overexposed so you can't show the films um, and you have this huge crowd of people in the theater ready to watch the movie, but Veronica has to tell them all the bad news. And then everyone demands a refund. They are so mad. They're throwing popcorn at her. You see uh, Cheryl uh, leading the charge and also Fangs. Like everyone is very mad. Like Fangs throws a whole box of popcorn at her. Yeah. Like it was wild. Like I actually felt bad for Veronica at this point. Like, how do you feel about the scene? Um, yeah, this is a CEO struggle. I mean, <laughs> I, I was I was I was worried for her. I mean, I knew that she would pull it off because she always does. But um, yeah, very interesting. Actually, kind of at first, I thought that the overexposure of the film was going to be like some sort of supernatural thing or they were going to be like, oh, uh, you know, like something that was like uh, related to like contemporary timeline Tabitha or I don't know, like the comet or just like something that connects back to the which of course it isn't. <laughs> oh no, like I knew all along that this was going to be going back to her parents. Like, like again, they're sabotaging her from afar. And again, this is what I'm talking about. Like, why are her parents trying to sabotage her at every turn? Like, this girl is not doing anything like evil. Like, she just wants to run a business. Like, I know that's a little unusual for teenagers, but like, <laughs> not for her. I mean, but why is this something that you have to sabotage? Like, why have you sent your child to live on her own all the way across the country? And you're still, like, up in her business, ruining things for her. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, the um, one I'm still not over is the fact that they have an actress to replace her on their show. <laughs> yeah, there's that. And then there's, like, um, like, I get that Veronica does things that are, like, not cool. Like, that painting she uh, sold to Mr. Lemley to, to buy the Babylonium, like, probably wasn't even hers in the first place. <laughs> I mean, like, she just... I just don't understand a lot of the details of this plot like yeah it's I uh, <laughs> I, 
don't think it's supposed to be realistic or if it is it's doing a really bad job yeah like why did her parents get her this job in the first place if they were only going to like take it away and ruin it for her like they just really want to build that parking lot (laughs) i know and like did you even need a parking lot in a small town on the other side of the country like how is that going to make you money more than a movie theater one of the big problems with Riverdale is like what size is the town supposed to be because they're like small town small town small town but then it turns out there's two different like criminal gangs operating in Riverdale there's multiple like parts that like there's like a south side of town and there's like two different high schools at least and there's going to be a private prison there which all of which it sounds to me like maybe Riverdale's not that small of a town so. Oh yeah, this is definitely a problem that arises on on long lived shows like this. But um, if we just go with the plot, basically, let's uh, just go with it. <laughs> yeah, her parents hate her. <laughs> yeah, they're evil. And so Veronica has to apologize to everybody. She has to give them a refund, not for their free tickets, but for the food that they bought while they were there. And then Veronica decides to call up Mr. Peter Roth uh, of Warner Brothers Studios and complains about the the film reels and he calls her green and insults her and she's very upset and then her, Kevin and Clay start phoning other studios and trying to pick up other films they mention To Catch a Thief Oklahoma and Night of the Hunter but they receive nothing but no's and Veronica realizes that her parents have had her blacklisted. So Clay has an idea to get some B-movies from smaller studios. I love how Clay is like, oh, there's some great independent studios out there. And Veronica's like, yeah, B-movies. <laughs> Let's do it. Like, Clay's such a like such an artist film kid at heart. And Veronica's just like, oh, yeah, no, the shitty movies. We can show shitty movies. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of what they were, I believe, at the time. Yes. Uh, so then... Veronica finds Jughead at Pops. She asks him about a movie called The Crawling Eye. And this is a real movie. Um, again, it's something that is a little bit that came out a little bit later than what the show says is the year. But, you know, again, we're, we're rolling with it. <laughs> <laughs> and Jughead tells Veronica to do what William Castle did, which is basically to sell a gimmick, not just the movie. And Veronica is very into this idea. She does a pre-screening of the crawling eye for all of her classmates and or, or not pre-screening more of like a commercial she mm-hmm. shows like a, a commercial reel to get them hyped up for it she does a lot of work to promote that release she says she's going to release it in 4d and dilton is like the fourth dimension is time <laughs> are you talking about time it's like shut up dilton <laughs> she means that it's going to be an immersive experience that it's going to be more than just your regular movie So um, then she has Kevin and Clay making these uh, costumes out of beach balls and paper mache. And she has this, she has, this is where she starts to have a lot of funny lines about balls. And I'm just like, I, I, you're like, yeah, we know Riverdale writers. We know. I, I, I know I'm immature, but I laughed at all of this. (laughs) I mean, her delivery is pretty funny. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Did you ever go to a 4D movie? Um, yes. Like, I recall 
I feel like at Disney World they had several things that were like immersive. Yes. And like back in my day, I don't think this is there anymore, but they used to have like this Muppet 3D show, which they, it was advertised as 3D, but like they would like squirt water on you or like, you know, throw stuff at you and on top of having 3D glasses. So it was very cool. Um, so that's the, the main one I can think of. What about you? I think that they might have replaced that Muppet show at Disney World with a SpongeBob. I, I don't know if this is a D- Disney World or somewhere else, but um, I think I've gone to one or two and they've always been in sort of gimmicky places like Disney World. Um, uh, but yeah, no, it was like a SpongeBob 4D movie. Um, and it was like they had like little sticks in the chairs that would poke you and they would like spit water at you and there would be like fog under the seats, kind of mm-hmm. like in, in, in Riverdale today. Yeah. All right, so um, I do want to shout out Veronica's line. She says, now remember, boys, after you completely cover your balls with a layer of newspaper, let them dry before applying the next one. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, next, Cheryl arrives to the movie theater, and she is a tough customer. Like, she is not impressed with all the little gimmicks Veronica's got going on so far. Like, she has Dilton selling life insurance policies where she gets too scared. She has... Uh, Midge pretending to be a nurse with smelling salts in case you faint. Like and 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 of course Cheryl is again dis- disappointed with Midge. Like <laughs> running gag. Midge, I'm so disappointed in you. That was really funny. Yeah, like Midge is really selling all of her uh silent cameos where she's just making a face. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I I I'm okay with new Midge. Um and Fangs, too. Like, I, we haven't mentioned them much these past couple episodes, but, like, I, I, I like having Fangs and Midge around. Like, I want to shout out that Fangs has been wearing all these uh, Archie comic shirts. He had a Cosmo, the Mary Martian one again, and he also had a Super Duck shirt. Yeah, I guess Jughead's doing well enough on Super Duck that they've got a merch line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, like, Brad Rayberry would be so proud of all his best. <laughs> All right. Well, um, next, um, the everyone's got their 3D glasses on and they're watching the movie. But then smoke, or more likely dry ice, starts entering the theater under the seats and in front of the screen. And then people are trying to see what's going on. And then these two big eyeball monsters pop out with tentacles and they start scaring everybody. Um, we know that this is Archie and Reggie because Veronica. Um, had approached them earlier to get them involved and it works out like the screening is is, is successful and so successful that the next time we see Veronica she's walking to the theater and there's a huge line outside and um, you know she's getting ready for the next show but then Archie and Reggie quit and then Veronica has more ball jokes queen tries to offer them a raise but they're not interested in a raise they just don't want to do it she says because i respect your moxie and your balls i'll pay you two dollars per show going forward (laughs) and then she says but here's the thing you guys are not the stars the eyeballs are the stars so if you want to squeeze me i'm not interested i'll get kevin clay to do the gag you can leave your balls with them (laughs) (laughs) i just love veronica she is always entertaining um what else happened um so but then once archie leaves his costume behind reggie sticks behind a moment to talk to veronica and he asks her for that date 
But Veronica basically tells him, like, she's just too busy right now. She asks him to come back tomorrow. And this is the second time this episode she's asked him for a rain check. She's too busy being the she-wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, the, the she-wolf of... Uh, Hollywood? Of, of the Babylonian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then the next day, Veronica is on another phone call with Peter Roth. And he changes his tune. Like, he's very excited to do business with Veronica now that, you know, she's actually selling out tickets. And he gets her that copy of East of Eden. She's happy about that. But then she's too late to catch Reggie. He's left her some flowers. And she looks at them kind of sad because, like, she she just didn't have time for him. And then she goes home, finds out that her parents have changed the locks and basically evicted her. Um, Smithers has to tell her all this stuff. And then she decides to stay in the Babylonian temporarily. And then the, a song starts playing called Start at the Bottom. You've got to start at the bottom if you want to reach the top. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then you, we hear Jughead hearing the same song at Pops. And he actually tells Pop that he is done wallowing in his grief and he's ready to move on. But that's when Tom Keller approaches him. Like we see the sirens of uh the police car um through the window and tom keller enters and he's like jughead you're the only one who can help me solve the mystery of what happened to brad rayberry dun 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 yes i loved the red flashing light illuminating and then darkening jughead's face that was awesome yeah at the very end like that was a really nice directorial touch um but it was so silly to me just the scene though like like why are you approaching Jughead this dramatically though. <laughs> I know. It was it was cheesy, but I like in a good way. <laughs> yeah, like I, again, I'm rolling with it. I'm I am not trying to be too critical here. <laughs> <laughs> so um any final thoughts about anything we've discussed here? Hmm. Well I'm still team Veronica. Um and that's all I'll say. <laughs> actually you said before like your team veronica and also uh jughead and archie uh i guess jarchi jarchi i have less faith in that now <laughs> i don't think i veronica seems like the more likely one of the of the two i, mean, I just think betty and veronica have really good chemistry i mean I, I i agree with you i just i don't really think that they'll give us any more than what they've already given us um I yeah mean, that's yeah again like i'm just Begging for them to be friends and have plot lines together. <laughs> I would also settle for them having plot lines together. <laughs> but um, but this episode did show a lot of unlikely pairings. We saw Betty kissing everybody, uh, Reggie, uh, Archie, Jughead. Like there was some stuff for the Bughead shippers, like there's a few crumbs here and there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, sadly, there was no Shoney this episode, but like this wasn't a Shoney based episode. Um, uh, we, we didn't get a lot of Jugatha or what do we call it? Uh, Jabatha, but, <laughs> but we will see them more next episode. Like, I don't know if you saw the promo, but basically next episode, Jughead and Tabitha are on the case of solving what happened to Brad Rayberry. Okay, nice. I'm excited to see more of her. Yeah. Like, uh, that should be good. Um, another thing I'll mention is that Jughead had a whole lot of milkshakes and uh and he was reading all of brad Brayberry's books yeah i was like should he be drinking that many milkshakes 
Like, hopefully he's not lactose intolerant. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah. But, <laughs> Hope not. but um, interestingly, he said something about time. Um, like he said that the thing he's learned from reading Brad Rayberry's books was that time passes, seasons change, and life moves on. Like uh, he's reading November Country or whatever they call it. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, it's it's sad. Like um, I do feel for Jughead. And what he's going through here. Um, any other thoughts? Nope, that's pretty much it. All right, so let's rate the episode. Candy, is it a ten? Um, I was pretty entertained by this episode, although more sitting around in the Betty plot line than I would have liked. Uh, I will give it a six out of ten. Interesting. All right, so I'm going to give it. I think I'm going to give it a seven, which again, I think is like the lowest I've gone this season, but that's not necessarily a bad rating. It's just like, it wasn't my favorite, but it did have some interesting things going on. Um, some, some humor, some, some, uh, you know, interesting pairings and such. So it's like, I, and honestly I did, I was intrigued by what, was going on one thing i should say is that um even though betty and veronica's plot lines were separate they both ended up being about the ways that their parents are uh sabotaging them basically yeah Uh, that's a good point i i am always kind of surprised by how they managed to connect things mm -hmm. so like there was a thematic connection there i'm i'm kind of hoping for betty to just uh, run away from her parents and live with Veronica at the Babylonium or wherever they live. Cause like, why not? Like, you know, they should be roommates because their parents suck. Yes. And then they were roommates. Like, honestly, I found um, a cover of a Betty and Veronica double digest. And on this one, it's a picture of Betty and Veronica um, in the same bed. And Betty says, I just love sleeping over at your place, Veronica. <laughs> and she's holding a big tub of popcorn and a, and a soda because Veronica has like a big popcorn maker and a, and a soda machine in her room, apparently. So this could be the Babylonium. <laughs> <laughs> Should I use this picture for our uh, for our uh, cover? Honestly, that could be really cute. <laughs> yeah, I might go with that one. Um, but yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Like, it, it sucked seeing the things that they were going through, but, uh, you know, our Riverdale characters are very resilient. True. And um, and I I do appreciate that the show is trying to have something to say. I'm not sure. I'm not entirely sure what they're trying to say, <laughs> but at least they're saying something. <laughs> like, do you feel like you have any clear idea of what they were trying to say this episode? Um parents bad parents bad yeah i'll just questionable Uh, (laughs) i don't know that's pretty much all i got (laughs) i think all you can really ever get from riverdale is don't trust adults well honestly though i also want to add that i do think that riverdale is trying to say something about possibly feminism but more specifically sexual liberation like um 
like all this repression that Betty is dealing with, um, you know, and, and not just Betty, but even the queer characters, like, or even the interracial characters, like, um, there are a lot of social repression that is from the 50s and still around today. And I think Riverdale's trying to make a stand and say that, you know, relax, like, <laughs> get in touch with your <laughs> desires. Understand that children do go through puberty and should have some some of the wisdom of their elders to guide them through that because like it's it's a lot going on like like it doesn't have to be as crazy as it is like um like we've talked before about how the complaints of this show sexualizing teens or uh, and then there's been some criticism online of the scene where where Betty talked about her first or she didn't talk about it but the scene with little Archie and little Betty like uh there's been some criticism of that already so you know there is a question about how much is too much I do kind of feel like the teacher Betty scene was a little too much <laughs> you know I this they, they might be preaching to the choir because I think that if anyone knows that it's okay to be sexually liberated it's people who are watching CW shows yeah and Riverdale like they, <laughs> like their whole motto all along has been dare to defy <laughs> yeah exactly like ooh, look at these sexy actors yeah everyone's so edgy <laughs> but you know, I don't know. Um, I, I mean, I do think it's relevant, especially in this time where uh, I'm going to say it, where conservatives are accusing LGBTQ people of grooming when by and large, it's a lot of conservative people or religious people who are the ones who are being outed as groomers or pedophiles. Like, like, don't get me started. Like, uh, you know, like it's, it's a very, uh, it's sad that we haven't made progress on these issues, it seems like. Yeah, definitely. And that's one of the reasons I like Lolita so much is because the point of the story is like, it's it, it's not necessarily the creepy guy or the outsider or the outcast you should be worried about. It's the guy who's very integrated into society whom everyone likes, who's very charismatic. And uh, you you can't just point at like, some group of people who are just doing their thing and be like obviously they're groomers and it's very nasty to do so you know like uh unless that group of people has statistically shown that they are that that kind of stuff is allowed to happen in that community which yeah with the religious leaders like yeah it's very disappointing the the kind of rhetoric that we have around this stuff right now yeah but uh I'm, i'm i'm i do applaud riverdale for like bringing in again like uh, a famous literary work to spur these conversations and um you know make people think uh, or have a discussion like um i don't know like i definitely think that riverdale <laughs> likes to have their cake and eat it too <laughs> yeah certainly um yeah i guess we'll just leave it there <laughs> So, um, is there any other media you'd like to shout out today? Well, if anyone is curious about Vladimir Nabokov now, after hearing about Lolita, but you don't want to start with Lolita, uh, which is totally understandable, Pale Fire is a really good Nabokov book. Um, also a little bit intimidating at first, but just just try to start reading it and, and take it at face value. And I, I love, love, love Pale Fire. 
So yeah, Nabokov, awesome, fantastic author. Cool, cool. Well, um, I am going to apologize immediately and say that my recommendations are not Nabokov. Um, <laughs> None of it's better or worse than anything else. I mean, like, you know what I'm watching right now actually is Dance Moms. So. Okay. All right. That's another one you can shout out there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I want to shout out. Uh, I So I was at a Harris Teeter recently and like, I don't usually shop there. That's a little bit more high end than you know, like where I go for my groceries. But um, when I was there, they had this magazine rack and they had some Archie comic books that were just calling my name. So I had to buy them because these are this is what I used to do as a kid. Like they used to have Archie comic books at the grocery store and that's where I would get my double digests. But now I don't see them as much. And so these are the first ones I've bought in years. But um, let me tell you what I got. I got. Archie and his friends. I've got Betty and Veronica Jumbo Comics. That's what they're calling it now. It's not di- Double Digest anymore. It's called Jumbo Comics. And then I also got a Jughead Fun and Games. Okay, and nice. These are a bunch of cute stories so far. Like they're celebrating Archie Comics' 80th anniversary. And um, each of these comic books have the core four on the cover plus hot dog and one of them even has kevin on the cover hooray hooray for kevin (laughs) and um they introduce a character called ginger snap you ever heard of ginger snap no i've not this is another redheaded archie character (laughs) oh my gosh (laughs) so uh there's a lot of them um they even have a a storyline where archie ginger snap and cheryl are like the most like like the most attractive people in town. <laughs> it's like a, everybody's chasing after them. And yeah, I don't know. It was it was cute. I was excited to get some more Archie comics. And also I'd like to shout out um the Little Mermaid movie. Like hopefully by the time we record our next episode, hopefully I'll have seen the movie. Um I'm excited for that. Do you have Disney Plus? I do. Nice. I do not have it. <laughs> well, this is coming out in theaters. Mm, okay. Yeah. Interesting. It's not, it's not gonna be on Disney Plus until like after its theatrical release. Have you heard about it? Yes, yes, I have. Cool, cool. Yeah. Um, so I will be seeing that. Um I should mention I also started reading the 2015 Jughead comic book series by Chip Zdarsky. Um, so this is like um, an interesting take on Jughead so far. Like it was when in 2015, Archie comic books started experimenting with their format of comic books. So this is a, a little bit of a departure from, you know, the classic double digest type of thing. But you know, it's it's cute still. Um, I have to read more of it to have an opinion. But all right. So, any last thoughts before we say goodbye? Nope, that's pretty much it. All right. Well, thank you, Candy, for joining me on this Riverdale review, and thanks to everyone listening. If you enjoyed this DMV Comic Book Nerds podcast and would like to hear more, please like, rate, subscribe, and review us on your app of choice. We are currently on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you want to reach out to us on Twitter, Reddit. Instagram, or League of Comic Book Geeks. 
please do. Your feedback and engagement means so much to us. And we hope to catch you next time, Riverdalians. Can you dig it? Goodbye. Bye-bye.